This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Everyone holding hands! I go home late at night. This is a song that I really like to sing right now, so I'll play it for you. It's uh, called My Old Man. Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast. I'm David Michael, the editor of MyOldManSaid.com, which started off in the Premier League and now it has returned. Well, we are, we've always been a Premier League podcast. We've just It's mm. just been about a championship team, but now we can talk about a Premier League team. Uh, joining me to celebrate, Mr. Dan Rogers from the Villa Underground. Welcome back. Hello. And Mr. Chris Bird. We've Welcome done it. Back. We've done it. We're back. Which we've already spoken about this, Chris. So uh, why are you saying that again? <laughs> no, we we did a <laughs> we did an extra patron uh, podcast. So Chris is still elated that we're back. We're still still celebrating it. So many things have tried to stop us getting out this podcast. First of all, Dan's mic blew up, and tequila stopped me. You know, the, the, my well, mic catching well. fire was one thing, but tequila has dissolved me like a slug since since then we've got a new mic also my internet went out which i still haven't got back that is the uh 
mission of the next few days, but we are surviving on some one of those expensive uh, 4G Wi-Fi hubs. And then Frank Lampard couldn't stop us. No stopping us. Frank Lampard's derby. On this show, uh, we will be uh, obviously looking back. Uh, we'll have a quick chat about our own personal experiences, uh, what it's like to be back in the Premier League. What does it mean? Means everything. In context, means everything to me. we will <laughs> we will look at. We will have a quick three points as well because there has been other things happening in the rest of uh, the world of football. Uh, we will have a Scott Hogan touch count. Yes, there's <laughs> always a Scott Hogan touch count because I'll always find an angle to cram it into the show. And then we'll get into detail about the playoff final and uh, look at the permutations, the ramifications of what's going to happen in terms of uh, Dean Smith's squad building and also uh, what our Premier League prospects are as we stand at the moment. So, uh, did you all have a good day, gents? I had a cracking day for once at Wembley. <laughs> is that the first, that's the first time you've seen Villa win at the new Wembley, am I, it am is, I right saying? It is. First time I've seen a score in open play since 1996. <laughs> Jesus. 20 million years ago. we were I mean, we did the classic. We were at Moore Street very early. I think I was on the train behind you, Chris. I think you we, were, we, we, we were trying to rendezvous and we fucked it up. But never by mind. A few minutes. Well, I, I fucked it up because I, I thought it would be a good idea. What everybody needs with their breakfast is gin. And that was the start of my downfall for the day. I thought, well, you know settle the stomach and um are you trying to make out you're a bit of a lad dan rogers yeah i'm a proper proper lad and i and i, and I fully <laughs> ladded it out because what all lads do is they then go yeah i'm gonna have some dark fruit which is the <laughs> drink of all champion lads <laughs> and then uh we i, I staggered my way to uh, uh oh, hold on a minute did you see any my old man said podcast stickers around more street i saw i i did i saw the sticker at moore street I understand that there was some anti-sticker painting in and around the vicinity of Wembley that prohibited stickering. Uh, I mean, we're jumping the gun. We're still in Moore Street at the moment, but uh, okay, okay. fast forward to uh, <laughs> Wembley Way, where it is traditional to stick one stickers on the lampposts of Wembley Way to take nice photos with Wembley, Wembley Stadium in the background. But now they have this kind of force field paint that just spits your sticker straight back at you. It's... <laughs> I was I was quite I was quite taken back by uh, the same the stuff painted ev- onto all your Nylon's gloves. Um, <laughs> it's the advances the advances in technology are amazing, but yeah, I don't know why Nylon's uh, painting his gloves with that stuff. <laughs> Naffing sticks. So where did you go uh, on, at Wembley? Uh, I found when you got myself at the uh, lovely bit of atmosphere at the at the liquor station, and I took in said liquor and the game. I sat. I. <laughs> I took my seat in in Wembley, and I'm I'm an advocate of Wembley. I think it's a great, great viewing stadium. But I, I was uber relaxed, and I I, I attribute that to a, a fair amount of tequila and sambuca. Premature celebrations, maybe, but I was proven right on ninety minutes. Liquor station, where's that? Uh, outside somewhere, David. Do I have to be? <laughs> <laughs> it was Dan, Dan's trying to retrace his steps like Hansel and Gretel at the moment. It's not going well. Listen, as you guys know, I had to catch a flight the next day, and it was the hardest, most difficult. That was a, that was another ninety-minute flight, and that was a harder experience to try and sit still. If you're listening to this podcast and you didn't go to Wembley, you are none the wiser uh, what actually went on uh, before the game. So let's—I'll fill in some details, mm. shall I, Dan Rogers? Go for it. 
Well, the first thing I did, I got picked up and we drove down. It was, it was. I think we got there about an hour and a half from uh, Birmingham. It was, uh, it was like fast tracking. There was no traffic. But every time you drive to Wembley, you will without fail see a car on the side of the road with uh, two or three people wearing Villa shirts or, or whatever your team is standing there waiting for the AA. And mm. uh, that happened again. But uh, yeah, we started off. Uh, at the green with a few cans, uh, then the atmosphere uh, was, was pretty good there, and it just built and built and built. There was this Derby uh, coach incident, uh, incident which I'm sure you've read about, where the windows were put through on the Derby coach. Yeah, it's and, pretty embarrassing. Uh, hmm. But I've, you know, I've contacted the police about this and the coach company, and despite this happening last season. Nobody seems to have contacted the coach companies and said, anybody who's got a Derby coach, do not drive it through a mm. few thousand Aston Villa fans. It's like, if it's an asteroid field, you don't fly straight into it. If you want to avoid getting hit by an asteroid, you fly around it. Unless it's the Millennium Falcon. Unless it's the Millennium Falcon. But even they took a little bit of collateral damage. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so... They were none the none the wiser, and the coach company said, "I oh, will be adding it onto our list of uh, you know places not to go." I think they've only been running coaches to Wembley for about three three to four years, mm. uh, from what they were telling me. But uh, yeah, when uh, there was that fundraiser, which was a great idea to uh, switch the narrative from Villa fans being a bunch of bunch of arseholes to uh, you know good people, because at the end of the day, it's only a few uh, idiots uh, throwing the the bottles. But initially, I think it was set up to refund the coach, and you're just thinking, well, actually, if if you're going to ride a coach through, uh, <laughs> you're kind of asking for it. If you you know f- through a load of drunk uh, football fans, you, you're kind mm. of asking for it, and also. Uh, I mean, it doesn't excuse it, and, and it's two separate things. You know, you shouldn't throw things at coaches full stop. But if I was on that coach and my kids were on that coach and, uh, you know, something serious happened, I'd be going for a duty of care against the, the coach. Why are we driving in front of the opposition fans? I would be suing them. So uh, that was a bit of a bit of a strange one, and uh, hopefully it won't happen again. I mean, you know, there's always, as, you know, Manchester City fans throwing bottles at Liverpool coaches, Liverpool fans throwing them at Man City, you know, West Ham, Manchester United, Barrow, York City. I mean, it's been going on for years. It's just common knowledge. You don't drive a, an opposition coach, whether it's players or supporters, through, a, you know, thousands of, uh, of the opposition fans. I think my Wembley really kicked off, uh, you know, after a few drinks around the, the green. We went into... Uh, in Wembley about half 12 because uh, as I think I mentioned before I was invited by the Football Supporters Federation and I got a couple of uh, sandwiches. extra invites no it was roast beef actually <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I got a family member in and also uh, Liam from One Australia direction. flew in so we got him in well he's a, he's a patron mm. and uh, also uh, used to write for my old man said and the first thing we saw when we met him outside was Dr Tony and his posse struggling to get in there was um, two young girls obviously working uh, working the uh, gates checking t- <laughs> checking the tickets and they were f- flashing some A4 pieces of paper and they were just going mm, sorry sir so uh, young ho was uh, <laughs> Dr Tony's former assistant was on the phone uh, frantically uh, if you check out uh, my uh, instagram uh, .com my old man said uh, the Instagram page for, a, for some various Wembley shenanigans. But no, that was quite funny. I mean, that that was a good icebreaker for meeting Liam. I mean, we were pissing ourselves for a good half an hour after that. Uh.
Now it's time for Twitter with Tony. Here go, lass. Here you go, lass. Here's, here's my ticket. Quick, quick, get me in. Fucking Big Keith's coming. Big Keith's coming. He's got oh, some traps from HMRC. Quick, get me in, love. I'm big time, Tony. I mean, I can't bring my rent boy in. Let me in. Let me, let me in. Why's that chuffing David Michael taking photos of me? Fucking sit on him, Keith. May 27th. Three years ago, that game, this picture, I made the decision to scarify for this beloved club. Maybe it's delayed. I kept my promise. May 28th. You can see through one's deepest dark in the human nature. Snake emoji. Especially in lowest and highest, dot, dot, dot. OTV. HMRC. Keith, does anybody, anybody chuffing no one out, chuffing mean on these fucking tweets? And then it was into the Bobby Moore for loads of uh, pale ales, uh, some food, and then we checked out our seats, and you bang in the middle, right behind uh, the villa bench, and it was it was perfect. I mean, uh, the whole hospitality thing—it's like you know, whatever. It's like a wedding reception at the end of the day. It's basically <laughs> just a, that's a great way a, to describe it. I like that. Well, it is, <laughs> and uh, you, we're just there to get some beers down. As and half time, Villa score. You're thinking, right, beautiful. I'm going to uh, toast this with a beer, and uh, they're just offering you uh, fruit juice and ribena and uh, <laughs> tea, tea, coffee, and biscuits. I needed a like, ribena. I thought what I'd have done for a ribena at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I was drinking the sweat off the head of the man in front of me. <laughs> 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 Any fluid. <laughs> Yeah, no, but I mean, uh, then it was a paid bar after, so uh, oh, yeah, okay. it's not—it's not what it's all cracked up. Not to the be. best wedding uh, reception. No, exactly. No. It's, it's pretty much like going to a wedding where they'll have a little small tab behind the bar mm. at the start, and then it's like uh, dip into your uh, pockets. But no, mm. it was—I mean, at the end uh, there was—I mean, Mings and uh, Courtney House and Horahan were all there with their families, and uh, Horahan spent a good forty minutes having portraits with his with his baby. I think we mentioned that mentioned the newborns uh, in a previous podcast, mm. uh, but Codger was trying to get his little kid uh, when when the players went and got the trophy and they were coming down. Codger was trying trying to get his little uh, baby to take on the pitch, but they refused to uh, let him on. It's obviously uh, stricter baby uh, laws than at Villa Park. Mm. Where it's uh, where anybody can get on, and uh, after we went to the box park, met Mister Bud, where it was rocking, and uh, we carried on. Uh, a few of the other mad few joined up. Uh, Christoph from Norway joined us, and we bumped into some uh, of our listeners actually, who uh, had a few drinks with, and uh, they were they were very good actually. Although there's one guy who uh, uh, Paul, who was with me, went to the toilets. So he's a forest fan, and he came out with this guy and directed him in my direction and uh <laughs> this guy said uh oh, i recognize your voice i recognize your voice 
oh, you, you do that podcast. And he said, oh, you have a beautiful voice. You have a beautiful <laughs> voice. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? And he says, I don't care if, it, you know, even if your opinions are fucking shit, it doesn't matter. You just have a beautiful <laughs> voice. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, security. <laughs> security. <laughs> and then we went on to uh, the Hilton where the players, the players were actually staying there, which was uh, normally the old traditional. I always remember like as a kid FA Cup, there'd be the coaches uh, mm. riding in from, you know, some, there'll be, they'll be shacked up in some uh, country manor or something riding in and the, there'll be a camera and a helicopter, you know, flying over the top, uh, you know, it's typical BBC coverage, but... Uh, they were literally just across the way, weren't they? Yeah, Dean Smith decided that he didn't want to waste any time doing that, and they were just across the way, so uh, a lot of Villa fans got to party with them uh, after the game, which was uh, an extra bit of fun. And party they did from the sounds Absolutely. of it. Absolutely. Indeed us. Anything to add, Mr. Bud? Do you know what? It was a... Uh... A pretty smooth day. The travel all went well. Me, I know me and Dan went from Moore Street expecting it to be chaos and it was a piece of piss. It was great. Thoroughly impressed by the box park, which was rocking before the game, rocking after the game. All good. Sat in Club Wembley. Happy days. All good. That's a potential uh, blueprint for, uh, well, any, yeah. I think Manchester United had something similar yeah. at it's Old a great, Trafford. It's, it's it? a great setup, isn't it? You know, got really good food. The bar's easy to get to. You don't have to wait very long. Massive. Yeah. Music's really good. It's just, just, and it's so close to the ground. It's great, you know. And then we we walked up to the uh, the green, and then up to the green man, and ended up going back to the box park because it was just the green man. In comparison, it's just you know, the, it's like the go to place, but actually, it's shit. Yeah, it looks yeah. dated, doesn't it? No, it's rubbish, and you can't get near the bar. You can't get anywhere through for a piss. It's just like no, people it's just good. go there. It's like a place you go to because of folklore. Whereas actually, box park have nailed it. Mm. Everything yeah. you could want for pre-match. So no, we had a, we had a great day. Yeah, no, I worked out actually. If I don't go to the Green Man, Villa win at Wembley. There so, you go. Uh, it's it's going to. That's stay why that I way. got the train down. It's quite simple. Yeah, all these superstitions. That one formed because I remembered I didn't go there for the Liverpool game, but I went uh, for the other games. I I woke up the following day and and I now attribute all of our future successes to the Austin Lions Club because I woke up with their badge on me. I have no idea how I came to have this badge. So Austin Lions, it was great meeting you. (laughs) If I did indeed meet you. (laughs) Or if I robbed your badge, sorry. Yeah, if I I took anyone's badge on the day. Dreadfully sorry. (laughs) But the only disappointment of my time, the only missing link... At Wembley, in terms of uh, when I look back, was there was no Dan Rogers at midnight on Wembley Way with myself and some of the mad few who listened to the show all joined in in a rendition of Savo's song. The leader, the man who reintroduced it to the universe, was not there, and we had to go alone without you. I got a call at literally 10 seconds after the uh, the final whistle, and I didn't know who it was. It was like number not disclosed, so I thought, fuck that. Probably me. <laughs> Carried on celebrating, and then it rang again, and then there was a text, and it was five live saying, oh, can we can we talk to you about Villa? And you're just thinking, fuck Jesus off. Christ, you know, fuck off. You haven't yeah, been interested first... in three years, you bastards. <laughs> I am in no fit state to talk. <laughs> that was my first reaction, but it's like just you know, leap, the, the final whistle is only literally, literally gone, just, you know, less than a minute 
ago and it's uh, and you want to tour. What do they want you to do? Stand in the stadium and have a chat while you're singing Sweet Caroline? It's like, come off. Well, exactly. Although that would be quite good fun. I mean, there's other Villa fans that like to be all over the media, but uh, anyway, enough of that. But yeah, that was my, I didn't even get back to them. It was like, fuck off. (laughs) And then in the morning, well, in the afternoon when I finally woke up because we got a hotel in Harrow, I got an email uh, from uh, BBC West Midlands saying, uh, oh, uh, yeah, can can we get you on the show about nine o'clock? That'll be fantastic. Yeah. Nope. But they did, uh, they said the angle they wanted to go down, obviously it never happened. Is it more of a relief being out of the championship or is it a delight being back in the Premier League? So how mm. are you going to answer that? I'm delighted to be out of, of the championship. I, I, I'll be quite honest that though I quite like the Tuesday night games, I won't be missing with the greatest respect Rotherham. Won't be missing well, the Blues. relegated anyway. Well, the, the, that type of game. You know, I'd, I'd have to say, you know, see you later Blues, see you later Albion. Well, you know, back in the big time. See you later, Leeds. See you later, who? Hurrah! <laughs> they're one of the they're one of the smaller clubs in the division, aren't they? Now, isn't that no? I feel I feel sorry for Derby after uh, beating them. Now they've got to actually play them again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's that's the the horrible. That's how we'd have been feeling ultimately. That I think that you you know we'd have had that amazing run somehow clawed our way into the playoffs, and then you'd have had that huge yeah. ugh. Yeah, anti-climax. Mm. I just think that you know you, you look at the fixtures, you look at the the Premier League for all of its flaws and all of its fault, all of its faults is the place to be. It, it you know it, we have to be in there. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm glad just to be at the Championship. That's the main thing. But uh, but Chris, when you cast your mind back to when we were previously in the Premiership, there was there was a sense of apathy, and it was like mm. a kind of a what whatever about it, and we and it kind of lost. Lost its luster, but after three seasons out, you're kind of feeling a bit of a fresh excitement now. Yeah, I think it was, you know, as soon as really O'Neill left, you know, we had the, the Houllier season where nobody quite knew what to expect. And I think we finished 10th, didn't we? His heart wasn't in it. And then it was just a, a really slow, painful decline. Mm-hmm. And by the end, as you said, the apathy had set in and, you know, we, we thoroughly deserved to go down and not mm. just off one bad season. This was probably, what, four or five seasons coming. Yeah. So to be out of the championship, for me, it's certainly more of a relief. You know, I think we've dodged a massive financial bullet. And there's other, you know, implications of being in the championship, you know, like the way fans are getting ripped off to go to games, yeah. which we've done yeah. on numerous occasions. Sheffield Wednesday is a prime example. I think the standard of the refereeing is nothing oh, short of dreadful. Laugh- absolutely laughable we have um, var now we do and ultimately you know it's it's where we have to be there's no argument about that really it's it's where exactly where we have to be but but in those seasons that you've just mentioned i think we pretty much wrote the rule book on how not to do the premier league so uh <laughs> even the fact that even that we got relegated the season the bloody tv deal kicked <laughs> in it was just like it was typical villain. yeah like trebled or yeah. doubled or whatever it was but do you, do you not think that the, that the three years we've been down, that we, I mean, we made some chronic mistakes, but on the side, our club almost needed to disintegrate, did. didn't it? It needed to have yeah. that implosion, that complete We needed to burn to the house down, didn't we? We needed to knock it down. Well, and start we did, we did. It's funny, because uh, going back, I always remember when we got relegated the time before, oh. under uh, O'Neill and uh, Turner... That that calamity in in that season, and and it felt like you needed a reset. And that relic, as a, I mean, this is as a kid. I mean, obviously, I was mm. quite advanced for a, as a kid, thinking this club 
needs a reset. <laughs> I was thinking this needs a reset. So I, I had, I was almost emotionless when they got relegated because I just thought this is what this club needs. It needs a kick up the backside. But the thing is, this was only like literally five years after we won the European mm-hmm. Cup. So that shows you uh, like a, a gross accelerated decline, uh, decay. But this was a, as Chris said, it was like a slow burn. Uh, road to nowhere and then and the flip side of that is that it was a it was a rapid and unexpected acceleration to promotion i mean for, for anyone yeah, in sense to the caught pretty much everybody off guard and and we'd already had the uh the the season is over party on this show <laughs> yeah it was we, the streamers <laughs> were still up at the villa underground it was a fantastic <laughs> party <laughs> um we regaled of tales of dr tony the tax the lack of it was all great fun but, yeah, it was just you know I was emptying empty <laughs> bottles back into crates to try to take them down the recycling. Yeah, I had stuff Keith Winus back into the barrel, and it was <laughs> you can't actually explain it. You know, our crashing out of the Premier League was a it was like a it was that slow horrible death of of I don't know our, our modern era if you like, and we've <laughs> rocketed back into the Premier League when I, I I can't imagine many people would have expected it, possibly even fewer. Even having got into the playoffs, you know, I think it'd be hard. You know, you mentioned clubs like Leeds. I think it'd be very hard for Leeds to recover from this, and Derby and yeah. whatnot. You know, they're normally in the in, in the mix, aren't they? I think I think Derby uh, they'll be all right because it, it was a step, it's yeah. a step of progress. Because last time they, they they obviously losing semi finalists, but they uh, the momentum at the end they beat the Baggies, they beat mm-hmm. Leeds, and and they vastly improved. Uh, but it, this was completely unexpected for most people. I mean, Fantastic. Christian Perslow in his interviews, Cheshire uh, Cat. Suddenly, yeah, but suddenly was make, making out that he wasn't surprised. Uh, and it's like, yeah, I think you're lying there, son. <laughs> yeah. But as he said in one of them, like, once we got into the playoffs, then you thought that we would be mm. unstoppable. Well, we, yeah. we had all, we'd all said that, hadn't we, through the season? Yeah. If we could actually make the bloody playoffs. We didn't really get out of third gear in the playoffs, so we made it a bit harder than we expected. But it shows a lot when uh, West Brom, who were known for scoring goals, mm. showed us so much respect that they just set out to stop us. Mm. And that was, their, that was their game through both, you know, through both legs of the tie. So we were seen as a big threat. And I think Derby did the same, didn't they, in the final? I think they did. I actually, I think we, we perhaps commented before the game that I, I thought the West Brom doubleheader was the hardest part. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think that's that what we, I always said. We pretty yeah. much settled on that. We went with a, I don't know, a measured confidence, didn't we, to Wembley that we, we knew we had enough to beat them if yeah, the yeah. right Villa turned up. And, and I, I think actually we showed a bit of character and a bit of a bit of brains because there were similarities between the West Brom game. And we'll, mm. we'll get into the final in mm. a minute. We'll just quickly have a, we'll go through a, a quick three points mm. and uh, then we'll get into the actual game itself. Quick three points. I'll kick off mm. a competition that we won. Once upon a time in 1982, Liverpool uh, won the Champions League against Spurs in in the worst game that oh, I since the 2000 FA Cup final between Villa and Chelsea. So correct, that is awful. the only, only comparable Absolutely game I can think. Absolutely awful. If it wasn't for that penalty at the start, do you think that would have changed the game? It was turgid. It was absolutely. Do you know what I thought? I, I was watching it with um, with friends, and you know, like when you've got a group of friends together, you know, all football fans. You know, when that group of friends have got the TV on, and then no one's watching the game. I think that's yep. like a sign that yeah, you know, this is the supposed to be the showpiece footballing event of of domestic uh, 
of, of club football. And it was just on yeah. bordering, borderline unwatchable, I thought. Yeah, but as a tournament in itself, it was uh, it was one of the better Champions League uh, tournaments, mm. I would I would venture. I mean, the final didn't really do the rest of the tournament justice. I mean, Liverpool had pretty much already done the heavy lifting by uh, mm. knocking out Bayern and Barcelona. Ajax obviously dazzled. Spurs' comeback exploits were on another level mm. as well. Mm. So it had had a lot of excitement. It's just a shame that uh, it didn't uh, produce in the uh, in the final game. Chris Bird has come up with a Villa connection to the final. Wow! So there was a, there was an interesting bit of trivia I saw online in that Daniel Sturridge became the second player to win the Champions League with a, an English side. He won it into obviously 2012 with Chelsea, 2019 obviously with Liverpool. He was sat on the bench. The only player to have done that before was one Jimmy Rimmer who previously won it with Manchester United in 68, and of course with Villa in 82, where he was subbed off early in the game for Nigel Smith. Nine minutes, on the nine minutes mark. So he managed to sit on the bench as well for 81 minutes, uh, after giving most Villa fans a heart attack uh, (laughs) when he went went off on the the ninth minute. I remember that day, and I thought it was Curtin's uh, typical Villa, at least give, I mean, we're underdogs anyway, at least give us a fighting chance. But when your keeper goes off, who was renowned as uh, Jimmy was renowned as a decent keeper in those days uh, in his spells uh, at Arsenal as well as Man United and Villa. But anyway, Nigel Spinks was born, so uh, all was good. Right, point number two, Mr. Rogers. So Neymar, who appears to be having the uh, standard South American footballer breakdown come disintegration of his career as things seem to be falling, falling down around him now. He's now got a, a rape allegation against him so they're sort of on the backdrop of many things sort of falling apart so he's been stripped of the Brazilian captaincies you know fallen out with teammates at PSG over wanting more more wages and you know this is one of the probably one of the highest paid footballers in the world uh, he's obviously come out into the into the press and onto social media with a it's a six or seven minute uh, to camera denial which you know we'd expect and obviously he's allowed a uh, right of reply but there's also a lot of stuff in in the press that you have to wonder where it comes from um, but suggests that, that Neymar um, uh, might have some answering to do I think for his actions with this uh, individual but uh, his behaviour overall does you know does it sound like the behaviour of a man who has a 11.5 million pound he also got into fire, obviously uh, banned for three European games after slagging off uh, the official that gave Manchester United that uh, VAR-assisted penalty. Mm-hmm. Called it a disgrace. And yeah, this girl, uh, It's a lot of football players meet girls on Instagram, uh, if you're a lady <laughs> and listening. And a couple of girls have uh, got in touch with me over the years uh, about Villa players uh, sliding into their DMs. <laughs> We keep uh, (laughs) a confidential uh, order on all of these things. It's just a need-to-know basis. We don't spread the the goss. I could whisper. (laughs) I almost (laughs) whispered a few players' names there, but uh, this is not an ASMR uh, channel, but maybe we could do... uh, Tell us, David. Tell us all of the secrets. Which fella player? Is the most sordid, do you think? A boom, boom, boom. No, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> this is a few years ago. Maybe in the next edition, we'll we'll see what the re- listeners uh, want. Rimmer by name. Rimmer by no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no. Uh, once they uh, they got chatting on uh, WhatsApp and uh, Instagram, he f- flew her over from Brazil to Paris and then uh, put her up in a hotel and then apparently appeared drunk on her doorstep and uh, the rest is potentially allegedly is it extortion or is it uh, Mm. just as you said somebody with a uh, 11.5 million pound helicopter having his way we shall see chris bird point number three 
Well, on a, a slightly more sombre note, obviously the, the death of former Arsenal invincible Jose Antonio Reyes at the age of 35. He died in a, a car accident over the weekend. He obviously received a, a really nice uh, minute's applause and tribute before the, the Champions League final. You know, he played over 100 games for Atletico Madrid, went to Sevilla, won the league with Real Madrid and obviously had a, a really successful spell with Arsenal as well as being a Spanish international. So it's really sad to obviously lose another you know, member of the football family, I, you know, so young as well. I didn't realise he was only yeah. 35 still. But he joined Arsenal so young, didn't he? And that, it, it, yeah, I, you from wonder, Sevilla. You, you wonder whether actually that he, he joined Arsenal too young. You know, he went on to have a very, very good career in uh, in Spain, didn't he? Yeah, because they actually loaned him out, mm. didn't they, to Real Madrid when they won the title. He was on loan uh, when he... When it was he... a huge, big money signing. And I, I won't go as far as to say he struggled, but it was in a, at a time where, um, you know, that Arsenal team was so, so good that I think yeah. if you weren't you know, really at the top of your game. And he was still learning his trade, if, if memory serves me right at that point. Yeah. But, you know, his, the, the stats of his, his career speaks for itself, really. He was always going to yeah. play second fiddle to the likes of Henri. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Et cetera, at that point. But he was, you know, a very talented player. Obviously, a shame to, to pass away so young. Yeah. All right. Before we uh, go on, I just want to give uh, a big shout out to uh, the latest My Old Man Said patrons who have uh, got on board as we uh, career into uh, the Premier League. We need to... Uh, seriously up our game when we're going uh, in a world of Premier League podcasts because uh, they've got shitloads of patrons and followers and also like the Anfield Rap has an app that they charge £5 for and uh, they've got loads of they've got a studio and working staff on their I've podcast. got a studio. So what kind of studio? It's it's more of a box. Some kind of yeah. sex dungeon or something. Listen, uh, similarly to, to Neymar, allegedly I have to <laughs> sex dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> I call it the Possum Lounge. <laughs> so we will, oh God! So we'll have to up our game. So thank you very much uh, for the, uh, the the patrons that signed up in the uh, the last couple of weeks: uh, Victoria Cozans, Richard Bayliss, Harinda Matharu, Patrick Singleton, Stu Powell, Nicholas Price, Adam Imms, David Griffin, Ollie Wright, Ian Bruntlett, David Grimmett, David Bound. Kikru, I don't quite get this name. Uh, it's not a real name, I don't think. But thank you, Kikru. And also a big thanks for David James Williams for upping his pledge because we are now Premier League. As he says, it's time for the Premier League money to trickle down to uh, sites like ourselves. <laughs> if you want to support us as we go into the Premier League and increase the scope of what we can do, and there are some crazy ideas, so please uh, do get on board. We go into the Premier League to take on all the Premier League podcasts, so uh, we need uh, your help to do that and you will be rewarded with fantastic shows. Uh, please go to myomansaid.com and click on the patron link and you'll find all the details there. Right, before we get on to finally get on to the playoff final, I think it's time for a quick Scott Hogan touch count. Aye, aye. Before we get into the Scott Hogan touch count, though, what, what do you think Scott Hogan's future is realistically? Roofing, I mean, or I don't know, might, maybe he could learn a trade of some sort. One question is, does he have a contract where promotion means his wages are triggered? I would I would say so. Probably. Mm, yeah, yeah. So if he was around 30-ish, he's probably gone up to 40, 45. I, would, um, I mean, I'm just throwing a number Hoping out Hoping it's not in the same league as Ross McCormack. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I believe that though. I mean that would be Keith Wyner said his worst if it's true. Which kinda makes me fear that it might be true. 
Yeah. <laughs> you have to take all these things with a pinch of salt. Are they really stupid enough to give Ross McCormack a 70,000? Yes, yes, they deal? absolutely are. <laughs> <laughs> they really <laughs> are, the Dave. Come on. <laughs> well, this is the thing, because if I'm, you know, if I'm, uh, you know, the CEO of Villa or, you know, on the stuff that actually Can determines you imagine? Contract, determines contracts, there is no way... Uh, you know, any anybody who's not even played a game in the Premier League gets a seventy grand a week contract. But some of the well, some of the contracts that they dished out uh, even before Doctor Tony, you know, in the season before, mm. oh, like Mike, Micah Richards and people like that. No, exactly. But in terms of Hogan, where, where do you think factoring in all these permutations, where do you think he ends up next season? He either is a squad player at Villa and probably doesn't even get on the bench. He may have the option to go to Sheffield United, although from what I hear, they don't seem to have their house in order at Bramall Lane. So no, I, 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 don't know, I don't know where he's going. Yeah, I mean, there's talk that Wilder might walk out on them. It's got that bad behind the scenes. So Hogan, It's got that bad he, that he would go to the baggies. Well, yeah. <laughs> will, will Hogan be in the Premier League with either? Mm. Maybe not. I don't think he's... You know, if you're Sheffield United, he's not top of the pecking order there. He's far down the pecking order. What's Villa, Sheffield so. United's problem for those who don't know? I just apparently they've just their owners aren't willing. To, yeah, their owners just aren't willing to spend. Mm, political behind the scenes, isn't it? Around around how they approach, I think, uh, staying in the Premier League. So it's not what's happened previously; it's what's going to happen, yeah. uh, or what isn't, or what isn't happening. Mm. As it were. Henceforth, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, Villa surely won't want to make a huge loss on Hogan. So will they just sort of let him sit there and maybe loan him out? I wouldn't be surprised if we keep him and loan him out to a championship side. Yeah, I think similarly. I think that Hogan, for me, just hasn't shown enough in a Villa shirt. You know, he has had opportunities. Yeah. And even from a shop window point of view, I'm still surprised he that Sheffield United took him. If, you know, if only they, they took him as an option, I guess, as just cover. Yeah. Uh, but I can't see anything other than a loan, loan with a view to a permanent in somewhere in the championship. Right, let's get to the Scott Hogan touch count meter. And I'm so excited! I'm quite excited. This one touches on his international career. Oh no! Which uh, is is only beginning. It's still uh, it's still a little uh, chuckling, cracking out of the egg. As we, uh, I think he made his debut against uh, Turkey in a friendly, but he's only made one. Let's call it uh, competitive game appearance and that was in the uh is it the uefa league what do they call it i can't remember nations nations Na- league, nations league. the nations league indeed when ireland played at home against wales uh wales won that game one nil and scott hogan came on as a 75th minute hmm. substitute so the question is oh no who wants who wants to go first by the way dan can go I... first <laughs> How very Dang kind of you, first. Christopher. <laughs> <laughs> so, in in his first competitive appearance for Ireland, mm-hmm. in those fifteen minutes, how many touches did Scott Hogan have? Scott Hogan had six touches. Chris, well, whatever, whatever Dan's going to say, in the true spirit of the Scott Hogan touch count, I have to say less, don't I? So I'm going to say four. Ah, <gasps> oh, what a what a mistake to make. If you're going to go less, Chris Bird, you go less by one, because it's five. Oh. <laughs> Draw? Oh, my word. Oh. Missed an op- Didn't this happen last time as well? Chris Bird misses an open goal. Oh. <sighs> Didn't this happen last time as well with Max? <laughs> no, that, that one wasn't as open as this, because uh, all you had to do here was go one lower to hedge your bets, Still and you cover, oh, well. you cover off that five. Oh, I so just it's feel a draw. Like, I just feel like I still a, think five uh, five touches for Scott Hogan. I mean, he's he's got a bit ballistic there, hasn't he? In fifteen minutes, maybe this will work as a tiebreaker. Maybe it won't. 
God. Did he have a shot? And if so, how many? <laughs> no. <laughs> a big fat no. Uh, yes and one. Da- Yes Dan's, and Dan's one. Gonna win this now. Dan wins oh, on the oh, breaker. Oh, do you know? Oh, do you know what? I'm going to describe how that win feels. Do you know that moment when Derby broke through and fucking nobbed it in, and that boy's running in front of the Leeds fans, waving his penis around. That's me right now in front of you, Chris Bud. And they were all doing the Spygate celebration. <laughs> That's me. That's me. Yeah, yeah, oh. and, and it was on target as well. So of course uh, it was. There you wow. Go. Was it ever in doubt? What's, what's he doing in the penalty area? Come on, Scott. I don't know how Chris Bud's going to sleep tonight. Missed an open goal and then a draw turned to defeat. Oh, yeah. Man. Oh, I, I feel like Leeds right now. Oh, yeah. David Crack opened the tequila. We're back on. We're back in the game. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> the celebration continues. <laughs> Fetch me Berger Bjarnason. Let's sacrifice him. <laughs> <laughs> Poor old Bjorko. We'll make him smile one day. <laughs> He's a miserable son. I was sitting sitting maybe two or three rows back from Burka and he had his black baseball cap on and, mm. and he didn't smile at all. Poor old Burka. Miserable son. <laughs> <laughs> right, on to the playoff final. The game itself. Mm. Finally. <laughs> Since it was, you know, a week ago, we we decided we wouldn't go straight into it. So we're putting it in now. First of all, uh, the atmosphere in the ground. What did you think? Uh, the mosaic turned out to be Villa, actually spelt out. Good. Pretty good. Not not as well defined as the first mosaic, but the idea of this one was obviously all the flags joined mm-hmm. in. So it was the whole end getting involved. Yep. Derby's flags were all right, but I think that Villa stole its... Uh, if you were giving points in terms of who was the winner there. And I think, I mean, sitting on, I was halfway line, I think Villa noise-wise uh, took took the points mm. as well. But I would say that being biased. I thought the atmosphere was very good. It was a, it was a very good atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, before the game, it was brilliant. I thought just before we scored, it had got very quiet and, and quite and both sets of su- And really nervy yeah. with both sets yeah. of supporters. It, yeah. it got very flat. And then as soon as we scored, the Villa end exploded wild, from then on through it? the second half. It was brilliant. Yeah. Because, I mean, t- going into the actual game, uh, after the early exchanges, while well, well, you always feel comfortable, it, it did begin to drift a bit mm. in terms of... Uh, it hadn't really uh, set out a narrative for you. Didn't know there wasn't doesn't seem to be a, a real ebb and flow about it, or you didn't see where it was actually going to end up or how it was going to pan out. Oh no, and that they, goal. No, no, there wasn't a natural. You couldn't say, "Oh, this is." Yeah, narrative is a good word. You couldn't see how it was going to pan out, and I think that's what Chris's observation is that there was that you know the the excitement, I suppose, of the of the first thirty minutes, and then there was a ten minute spell. I remember sitting in my seat before Al Garcia scored, and you think, "Oh God, it's not going to be one of those days, is it?" And that's where I drew a yeah. bit of similarity with the West Brom game. That Derby's game plan, I think, was to stifle us as much as, um, and, and maybe try and nick one. And but I, I thought that you know th- through the goal that we took, I think that summed up our performance on the day. That that we that telling moments defensively as well, we were very very good, and I think that we we earned that win. And I think that that, yeah. that reflected well and was picked up in some of the press as well. That that was a it showed a bit of dynamism at times, but I think it was a gritty, determined performance as well. Yeah, there was no real surprises in the team. Uh... No. No. Uh, I mean, interestingly, uh, of the first game we had in the championship, if you cast your minds right back, uh, Di Matteo, uh, uh, yeah. Sheffield Wednesday, <laughs> only only two players remained in the match day squad for the playoff final, which was Green and Grealish, which is uh, promising. Obviously, mm-hmm. they're being being young guns, so there has been a, a massive transformation uh, within the championship. But yeah, sorry, going back to the actual starting team, uh, very few surprises. It was just a matter of if, if 
he preferred to have the impact of Green mm. rather than uh, starting with him and having a go at Ashley Cole. I mean, I thought Ashley Cole was played fine. It's not as if Phil has set about him or... Uh, it's not the Ashley Cole of 15 years ago. I think that's the important thing to... Yeah, which yeah. is obvious, but he's still good enough to be... He's, he was a world-class fullback, so yeah. he's, he's still good enough to be better any, than any, most things at this level. You put Albert Adoma against him, he's not going to get done for pace. Yeah. <laughs> Old Uncle Albert. <laughs> Though I actually thought Adoma put a shift in, to be fair. I actually thought we were far more effective with him on the field than when Green came on in the second mm-hmm. half, who didn't actually get at Ashley Cole once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone, no, everyone thought point. Green had come on and give us this you know, this bundle of energy for the last 20 minutes, and actually, he never got a touch. Yeah, I thought all that energy came from Al Ghazi. You know, he was... Al Ghazi yeah. was superb. There's a couple of the runs he went on in the first half. He was so positive. So, I, I don't yeah, know. I, think, I, was, like, I was talking to someone about this before the game. That Is Wembley a different size pitch or does it you know is it is it the fact that apparently you're that, not i know the is dimensions it, you know, the same as Villa it's Park, optical right? illusion isn't it and, and uh, you know you start I, 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 it's it's slightly wider than villa park slightly wider so slightly. It, but but it's probably you know he's, we're talking fine margins aren't we but it felt Centimeters, like um, yeah. yeah if it felt like um the, the stage and the the type of pitch where you know it, it suits our guards and i think i mean he's obviously a lone player who, who will have gone back now and i think that we've got a big decision to make because um I think if we don't have the opportunity to look at him, I think other clubs would. I think we've got the option to buy, haven't we? Mm. Yeah. I think he wants to stay. So I think of all the of all the players we've got with an option to, I think he's as good as a done deal. Him and Courtney Hawes are as good as done. Mm. Yeah, yeah, very impressive on the day, and I think that was important because as uh, Green's impact is still a question mark. Adoma's um, for all the work I think he puts in. He's, well, he's gone quality. anyway. Mm. He's gone. Yeah, he's gone. He's, irre- he's irrelevant. He's now. dead to us. <laughs> <laughs> but on the day, you know, I thought Alcazi was was key to us, and McGinn's, he des- McGinn's he deserved his goal, was, didn't he? Alcazi really did deserve his goal. It was a fantastic header. It really is a great header. Oh, it came off his shoulder. Mm. Is it Peter with Peter with shin? Alcazi's shoulder. Is it in the same? Bang way? in the corner. Not yeah, quite, great finish. Mm. Great time to and score Q, as well. Oh, it was amazing. And, and Q, absolute chaos in the oh, middle of it. Scored because just the release of energy. The, was, the, the, I got hit by about fourteen from... flags as people just start wildly <laughs> whip, whipping me. <laughs> Are you sure you haven't got a sex dungeon? Um. (laughs) So it seems to be a theme running through this. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. 
there's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And then to score again uh, reasonably early in yeah, the, uh, yeah. the second half. We, ca- we came out really quickly, didn't we, in the second half? We, look- we looked like Smith had put a rocket up their arse mm. and we had the momentum yeah. going into the second half. Because mm. at half time, I saw Smith having stern words with McGinn just as he was going in down the tunnel which was quite interesting. Uh, I think I, I said on the, the bonus podcast that I was surprised he didn't wait until they were in the dressing room. So obviously he saw something he wasn't kind of happy about or something that was obvious that needed to be adjusted. But there I did seem with, to be um, a bit more energy uh, and focus. Yeah, McGinn definitely when they played went back better, um, better than he did in the two West Brom games. Mm. He certainly wasn't as stifled. There were a couple of occasions where we just smashed through their midfield yeah. and carried the ball. Yeah. It was the it was the McGinn, you know, we've come to love through the whole season. Yeah. And I wonder whether yeah. it was that, that you know, maybe they it did require that just that little reminder from Smith. I'm sure it happened to other players. Is that you know the, we had such an opportunity, all the work that had gone before, and absolutely put everything you've got into the particularly the second half, the 45 minutes that came. You're a Premier League footballer, yeah. um, and that can't be lost. You know, sometimes players, you know, in the moment, in the you know the atmosphere and and, and whatnot, could just need to be reminded of. of how important it is and what, what that could mean for them. Yeah. You know, players like Hurahan and, uh, and others as well, I'm sure. But at 2-0, uh, I was thinking that this game's uh, we're home and dry mm. and uh, there's a third in this it's a weird at least. Twist. And, but then the Lampard end. made his changes. Mm. Uh, Marriott came on on the 63rd minute, uh, Waghorn shortly after, mm. about six, five or six minutes later. And uh, pretty much uh, instant... Uh, completely different shift in the game mm. and Derby certainly rode out the rest of the game uh, on top 17 minutes oh. of injury time did wonders for my blood it's pressure horrible yeah I think officially seven but uh, <laughs> <I've>, <laughs> but I think the last 20 minutes probably flipped the whole if you look at the stats at the end of the game I think they flipped them all into Derby's yeah, favour because just, we just stopped Derby's possession the game. Derby's possession was 57 at the end of the game. I mean, in terms of shots, Villa had three shots on target, Derby two. And that was the thing, the lack of end product for Mm. Derby, I thought. Yeah, yeah. Although they had 10 shots to Villa's nine overall. But one one thing I did say on the last podcast was the difference between this playoff final and last year's. Last year's was we was we were going to get a corner in the first five minutes, and uh, we did on, mm. uh, I think it was four minutes, 32 seconds, if I remember correctly. And actually, we had a really good chance from it, didn't we? It f- fell to Twan Zabin. You think if he had a bit of composure, he buries mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. one of those ga- got, you know, chances that in the ground you don't really realise. You see the replay and you think, fucking hell. We had such a purpose about us, and you can't, yeah. you can't and contrast the, it to Bruce. And I think someone, Yeah, there was the... Um, there was the Grealish chance, wasn't there, as well, where, yeah. again, you see the replay back, and you think if he's got a little mm-hmm. bit more composure, which you'd expect from him, he buries it. Same with the Abraham chance and a couple of runs from Algarzi, where you think if he pulls the trigger earlier, he probably scores. Yeah, but I, I thought we were helped by how Lampard actually set up, because I think in the last podcast we were talking about... Uh, I said I'd be surprised if Huddleston starts, mm-hmm. because I think McGinn would pickpocket him every time, mm-hmm. and Huddleston started. Marriott was left on the bench... They didn't have a recognised striker, did they, to begin with? Which no. was quite strange. Mm. And Marriott, as he did against Leeds, as soon as he came on, mm. he, he scores. And you're thinking, well... Uh, it was too cautious from Lampard, wasn't it? In, yeah, in, in a game where it's, you know, you, you're not going to get that many chances. And as, as, we, you know, as, we, as I've just said, they had two shots on target. Mm. You, know, you need a proper striker mm. to put them away. And obviously, they, you know, Marriott put his away. But how did you feel when, it, when he scored? The only moment where I thought, 
is this villa self-destructing <laughs> and i said this in the the bonus podcast was uh when tyron mings made that last ditch tackle yes. with the outside of his foot yeah. and then he went down injured until here we go but not only that courtney house was in the corner flag warming up and tyron mings stayed down so obviously you're thinking there's a bit of you know probably time wasting mm. here but then the villa bench must have known it was serious or not early doors so why was courtney Haas not called back earlier and stripping down he's mm. you know he's still out there and you're thinking hang on a minute they're about to kick off and we're down to 10 men mcginn slots in at center back probably our smallest player <laughs> all four foot three of him and you're thinking oh really is this are we self-destructing yeah. because we've just you know we've been naive here we've just been focusing on mings and not thinking right let's get somebody stripped down because courtney horse has been warming up anyway get him down because you know how long was mings down there for like half an hour or yeah, something a few minutes a few days should get <laughs> a few days felt a long time you know call house back get him start to get him stripped off so at least when it kicks off we can get a man straight back on so it's 11 against 11 so we did let our guard down there and then mm. Derby had a chance, which in the end didn't come to fruition, uh, to you know peg us back, and then we'd be kicking ourselves then, and we would be ranting on this podcast about uh, how uh, potentially uh, they cost us. It was you know that would have been coaching, that would have been the bench being a bit naive. Mm-hmm. Funny enough, I bumped into uh, Neil Cutler, the goalkeeper coach uh, at the Hilton about midnight, when uh, obviously the party was in full effect, and because you'd you'd have noticed if you're watching the bench. I mean, I was sitting just above it. He was always in the technical area, whispering things in Dean Smith's ear, and uh, it, during the game, I was going, "What's he doing? He's a goalkeeping coach. What's he got to say? <laughs> tell tell Steer to take three steps to the right." <laughs> and so I saw him after and I said, oh, um, I said, I'm watching that game and you were in that technical box more than anybody else. I said, what were you actually doing? And he said, well, at the end of the day, you got to look busy, have not you? <laughs> <laughs> he was whispering, recall Galini, recall Galini. <laughs> we need Galini. <laughs> this Kalinic is crap. Yeah, no, it was quite it was quite funny to see a goalkeeping coach so active because normally goalkeeping coaches their work is on the training field and it's not necessarily uh, they haven't got much of a role to play actually in game in game unless it goes to penalties or something. I mean, one thing I'll, you know you can give him credit for was he's clearly got Steer knocked into shape in the last mm-hmm. few yeah. months because I actually thought yeah. Steer had a really good game, mm-hmm. although he didn't have many saves to make. Some of his catches later on and the way he just killed the game on numerous occasions. Well, what he didn't even a do little was, bit of cheeky uh, time-wasting. Yeah, well, what he didn't do, which was what he did, <laughs> I'm really pleased he didn't, which was like against Albion, was uh, repeatedly just pass the ball to the opposition and give them a free run on goal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that alone, I was um, <laughs> yeah. appreciative of Mr. Yeah. Cutler's input. Because <laughs> you know, I look at Steer and I'm, I'm thinking, is he big enough to be a, a, a like a top keeper? But then you look at like Chelsea's, <laughs> you know, thirteen year old goalkeeper, <laughs> and uh, you, as long as you, and you know, even like David De Gea or whatever, who obviously has had a bit of uh, Mark Bunn was dodging. a bit a bit of a hobbit, wasn't he? Yeah, well, not necessarily hobbit, but kind of slight of frame. You know, probably six foot as opposed to you know your six four, six five. But no, he, he was sound, and, and we said a few podcasts ago, you know. Whether he can play for us in the Premier League, we'll learn a lot about him mm. in the playoffs. And so. yeah. Apart from his, apart from his <laughs> passing to the Albion, he, uh, mm. I think he, he passed that test, and it's up to Kalinic to uh, impress to win I'd back agree. his place. I agree. I mean, there was there was a lot of guys who impressed on the day. I think Smith said after the game, didn't he, that he was confident that if Mings and Twanzabi had good games, mm. we'd win the game. Mm. And I thought yeah. they were both superb. Yeah, I thought Twanzabi was fantastic. He's so composed. How Twanzabi isn't. 
he could be in the Man United squad, and they, you know they lack a. You wonder when you what, look at Smalling and bloody Phil Jones, you think he's a better athlete he's, than he's both a, of them yeah. combined. He's a better footballer all round. You know, far more composed, yeah. reads the game fantastically, physically very imposing, doesn't waste the ball. You know what? Yeah. He's he, you know be a very good DM, I think. As, as much as anything in, in a squad like that. Yeah. But he was superb at Wembley. And for a club, you know, we talk, this is a quite reflective, I suppose, upon the three years that we've we've been down and the, the couple that led to it. Villa didn't have anything like a Mings or a Tuanzebi for years. You know, we, yeah. we had the Ron Vlars of the world, who, <laughs> the Richard Dunns, the. <laughs> James Collins. James Collins. I remember when Yoris Akure signed and <sighs> we thought, finally, uh, we've got a centre back here with, with pace. Mm. And this is something we didn't have because obviously we were, had Collins and Duns and you know Villar as well. And although Villar, I mean Villar, in some games he, I mean he's meant to be a, a cripple, in, in, but he managed, <laughs> but he managed Concrete to cripple. run. Who was it? <laughs> Concrete cripple, <laughs> marshmallow run. Uh, there was. Uh. I remember at Villa Park, he somebody was put through. Is like I think Walcock or some, you know, Theo Walcock or something. Somebody who's like fast, and he actually ran them down and got a tackling. I can't remember who it was, yeah. but it was always. I was always amazed. So he's not, you know, he's, he wasn't that much of a slouch. I was like a number of players at Villa over many years of bought who no difference at Larson really that that they were fantastic footballers who were hampered by a chronic career-ending injury and I have to say it sounds as though that Chester actually has one of these types of injuries it seems to be the word on the street doesn't it well cast, casting my mind back to uh, early January well dis- December even mm. uh, where I got a message from uh, one of the uh, my own man said listeners followers who said uh, there's a Villa player who's who's injured and he's he's pretty much out for the season mm. and they're probably going to have to operate on him but and he was basically saying when news gets out it's going to be a bit of a uh, a kick in the nuts to supporters and everybody and that man was Chester mm. he didn't name any names at the time but that mm. man was Chester and the way that if you now with hindsight look back how Villa Managed, managed his injuries. It's dreadful, isn't it? Well, no, not managed it, but how, in terms of the media, how they got uh, that out, yeah, yeah. how they just drip feed it. Oh, yeah, it should be back. Yeah, maybe February. Oh, yeah, maybe March. But I, I had a, a clear bit of info that he was out for the season and Chester never played this year. Hmm. So they would have known that, but it's the way it was uh, bang. Headline: December, late December. Chester out for season. Mm-hmm. We're, we're like, fuck. We haven't got a centre back <laughs> again. <laughs> this uh, whole idea of Bruce starting with one recognised centre back, and uh, you remember that Tuanzebi was only played at right back last season, mm. and then suddenly he's out for the season, and uh, he, you know, he played f- a few games uh, when he wasn't one hundred percent. So it was interesting to see that, yeah, actually Chester was buggered, and he was meant to be going for an operation. It was never announced, but in the minds of fans at large, he was out. He was always coming back. He was coming back in March. He was, then he was coming back in April. Then he'd have been fit for the playoffs. But the reality was... He was finished. We never saw him again. Uh, but talking about these injured players and getting them cheap, the Ming situation is interesting because he's mm. obviously had proper injuries. I mean, that's why he was over the moon winning this. You know, it was the highlight of his career, as he said. The best part of four years, four seasons of injury. I mean, if we, if we had money, we could have bought him in January mm. outright. Mm. And at a cheap price, now he's going to cost twice, I think, of maybe three times of what we could have got him for. But, and how many times has he broken down on the pitch so far? Like, even in the final, <laughs> he didn't get through it. So he, he's not, he's somebody who's like, he's this talisman figure, we all love him. But is he going to make, is he going to give us 
you know, 30, 30 games in the Premier League. It's a concern. If we're going to pay over the odds for him, that's that's why I'm mentioning well, this. My only thinking is, and this is the one thing, one huge part of getting promoted that I don't like or look forward to is the risk that comes with making the mistakes that we did before, you know, where we acquired players who had some obvious ailment or they weren't fit for purpose and then we get hamstrung not you know not just on fee but wage is actually the the real crippler now yeah mings is a good example because all you know we've seen all of the reasons why to buy him why we should buy him but we shouldn't delude ourselves that there's a reason why a club like bournemouth might want to sell him too and that's because they they you know they paid out for him and he he basically hasn't been able to play for them because of chronic long-term injury hopefully he's over that you know we're we're not saying i don't think for one second that we wouldn't want that but it's got to come with a caveat hasn't it yeah because i mean there's an interest like now uh might not be the best time to buy mings because you know the hype train is Mm. uh rolling at its at its fastest but if you drop off a few weeks and start to play a little bit of hardball and it his injury record doesn't really bring uh, other people to the yard to buy him, then we might say, well, instead of 15, we'll give you 10 now. Mm. I think and we need to be restrained with... on fees. I really do. Yeah. Because we've been stung there. We've been stung there many, many times. I mean, you know, in the same breath, we're saying, I think we've said in previous, I've said in previous podcasts, the first person you sign up is Mings. Mm. But, mm. but at the same breath, you play the market and yeah. uh, now uh, while we're you know we're still hyper about the win we might not have clear heads in terms of buying buying players uh, especially like the ones that have helped us over the line i mean even two and zebi has been injury prone throughout his time mm-hmm. at aston villa mm-hmm. he's, he's missed chunks of the season mm-hmm. and what? that might be something that's holding him back at united yeah. i mean i've read somewhere that potentially there's a there's a, a loan deal for him there because united might not give him the uh, the amount of games he probably wants. They probably maybe not see him as the f- finished article for next season, and they'd like to see him play in the Premier League. Mm. The only problem is if he becomes the mainstay at Villa, then I just hate the whole idea of him having to sit on the bench when we play Manchester United. Yeah, and there's also a little bit of of when you've got players on loan, you feel like you're developing them for someone else, and then you know yeah. he may not even go to play for Man United. We develop him for another season, then he goes and signs for. You know, insert of the middling Premier League team. That's the the thing that I have to say too. And Zeb is, if I had to pick, if I had to buy someone, I probably would go after him quite hard. Yeah, I mean, I think you've been a bit harsh on Man United middling team, <laughs> uh, middling Premier League team, <laughs> because I think I think he would. He's he's somebody who could play in Spain. You know, he could play for PSG. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know that. He could be he could be picked up with somebody. You know, somebody with serious cash. No, but what I meant was if we developed him, and then I don't know, so he went and signed for. I don't know, a Southampton or a... Do you know what I mean? The Man United loan him to us for a season and then sell him, having, and then we don't buy him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's all hypothetical. When we were loaning these players, uh, even though we're developing them, we actually got them in for a, a mission. Them, and yeah, that, mi- yeah. that mission was quite simple. It was to get promoted. And when you're in the Premier League, it's a different thing because, yes, you will be developing loan players when actually you want to build your own infrastructure in the Premier League. Exactly. It's not like there's a clean, there's not a clean-cut mission like to get promotion. Exactly. I think Perslow said it himself, even from a pure cold, hard business point of view, you need to be bringing in players who can have some resale value. You look at the amount of yeah. guys who we're going to release, mm-hmm. yeah. and we, you know, we, we, we joke about people like Scott Hogan, but the, the, the net loss that you're going to make on these guys at some point uh, is just chronic. astronomical. Yeah, absolutely chronic. Yeah. You know, like you know, Whelan, Hutton, Bunn, Yedinak, Alfie, all these guys who are leaving. 
even if we'd have kept them and tried to sell them, you wouldn't get any money for any of them. Well, there's some yeah. weird narratives with some of those players, and Hutton's a good one to pick out because you know he's, he's everyone knows who he is. The the fact is that his career's had had longevity at the club for so long um, has actually been it's not just about him being a good servant it's because we couldn't offload him to anyone Yeah, yeah. and I'm not saying we should have and then he was treated poorly at some points across his career at Villa don't get me wrong um, but there are a number of players who were, you know we were just well the whole premise of the bomb squad was they were on yeah. such high wages that nobody else would no. would even think of taking no. them off our hands no. I mean, and that at, was the problem. You know, like, are we still um, talk- sorry, sorry to interrupt. Are we still talking about the playoff final? <laughs> <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> mm. So when the final whistle went, <laughs> I think yeah. I think we are. are we, we're still talking about the playoff final, aren't we? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, in a roundabout yeah. way. We were going to talk about the uh, the the infrastructure <laughs> of the squad uh, after we finished talking about the playoff final. Uh, did you think at two one we were safe? I, th- I thought we were still comfortable apart from that. Ter- I think we, we segued from the Mings injury uh, situation. So when Mings was down, that was the only time I thought uh, this yeah. may be a little portal for them to get back. And Derby have already proven they can come back, they get the old cavalry going once Marriott comes off the bench. They've scored and, a lot uh, of late goals through the season. But yeah. Actually, Hawes came <laughs> on and played really well for 10 minutes. Yeah. yeah. No, exactly. He he earned his medal. I wouldn't yeah, say we were comfortable, but I think I always thought we we had it in us to pick the ball up and get yeah, something on the break. That's exactly how I thought. Yeah. Which ironically we didn't end up doing. <laughs> Just going back, sorry, going back to the McGinn goal mm. because of the nature of it. It was one of the, first goal celebrating. You know, bang, you're up celebrating that goal because I'm one of these cagey characters <laughs> that I'm watching the linesman and everything, I so I know was. when. I knew from the frantic whipping of flags that it had gone in. <laughs> so this one, I, I didn't know if they were going to call it or whatever, because McGinn said, yeah. uh, McGinn seemed to suggest that, you know, sometimes that would have been, uh, you know, goalkeeper fucking harassment or whatever. But it's yeah, such yeah. a bad goalkeeping error. It, it's just one of those, isn't it? Because I got up to celebrate and then froze and like, is he giving it? Is it what's going on? And then it was given, and I was like, "Oh shit! I've lost all my momentum of celebration." <laughs> sat, sat back down. <laughs> yeah, I'll sit back down. <laughs> back to my word search. <laughs> no, I think I was the same. To be honest, I sort of saw the ball at the net, looked at the linesman. The linesman didn't flag. I was like, "Right, let's go mental." Yeah, I, we're yeah. going up. And it was a bit of a confusing one because um, I think you were about to, to say, weren't you, Chris? That the, the goal when you re, we relook at it from every angle, you just can't work out what the it goalkeeper's looks worse, doesn't it? Goalkeeper's trying to catch it in his midriff, and you're thinking, "What are you doing?" Yeah, there was mention of it being an own goal, and you think, "Well, how, how the hell is he scoring an own goal from McGinn there?" McGinn doesn't even have to jump. I don't think yeah. it just it's hits not, his head. It's not tall, it? is it? Yeah. It's so bad. Yeah, it's poor. But thanks very much. Poor old Keller Ruse. It was his birthday on the on the thirty first. So uh... do you know what? Though? He was pony through the whole game because mm. there was a, there was a moment, wasn't there, early in the game where McGinn put him under pressure. Yes. He just had to pass it out yeah. for throw, and he had nowhere to no. go. There was a couple of moments with his distribution was poor. He flapped at crosses. I thought if we'd have put, ever put him under pressure, it was an accident waiting yeah. to happen. Yeah, I agree. Going into the game, I thought, well, he's you know he's probably uh, he's finally broken above Scott Carson, so he might he might actually be uh, better than Scott Carson. Lord. So, but then you think, well, actually, when you're watching, it wasn't like somebody on their way up, really, no. Ruse. He's still got to he's still got to prove himself, and he's kind of got to go back to the drawing board in some respects. A quick nod on the uh, McGinn goal as well. I had to laugh when I saw. I think it was Mings, wasn't it? Tweeting after the game about. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, he just face planted, didn't he? In his celebration, McGinn definitely needs to practice his slides. He's done it two or three times this season. He's just made a mess of his goal celebration, hasn't he? <laughs> 
He went to slide and just went smack <laughs> straight into the floor. It off the carpet, doesn't it? <laughs> he literally headbutted the pitch. But it was really, it was a great moment that, you know, our player, you know, the players player of the season, the fans mm. player, goal of the season, everything else. It was He was the fitting, yeah. you know, recipient of the, the, the biggest moment of the season yeah, in the end. That's a very good point. Yeah, I mean, he's a player that through recent Villa teams uh, in time you could have just dropped in like you know when we were under O'Neill desperately going for the uh, Champions League places we need we were one dynamic midfielder away and, and probably a 20 goal striker from breaking that mm. top four and he could have he could have dropped in there nicely mm. I mean the similarities between him and Steve Sidwell are, are striking are they, yeah are they <laughs> <laughs> I mean and Tammy Abraham it's and Marlon Harewood you know when you really <laughs> neck and neck Exactly. The stats, stats don't lie down. They, they, they truly do. I mean, in all seriousness, two and a half million. I mean, there are very few things oh. we're going we're gonna to give Steve Bruce credit for. I mean, screw that Derby Looking bus. Back. We should be sending money but to Hibs. Yeah. It's, it's staggering, really. <laughs> it's a seriously, seriously good it's value. An absolute steal. <laughs> it's a, yeah. yeah, no, screw the Derby coach. It's money to Hibs <laughs> and Steve Bruce, I uh, think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Didn't Steve Bruce stick around for his payoff, though, in the end? Mm. I don't know. Yann- Yannick Balassi was there. He was a few rows behind me, actually. Yeah, I heard yeah. he was there. He was celebrating with Abraham after. It was a good good celebration, actually. It was. I thought, you know, for, for uh, it was strange because I was saying to my, my friend um, walking out the ground, there would have been a few players on the pitch after the game that had been quite bittersweet celebrations because mm. you'd have thought quite a few of them would have known full well, actually, either the phone call was coming or they knew already that they weren't getting a contract. Mm. So they knew it was their last sort of, you know, their final swan song. But it was a nice way to go, you know, for the likes of Yedinak. G'day, Villa fans. My work here is done. Dino's cut me loose from the pack. But you won't find me aimlessly wandering the Aston wastelands like the lap, Tishbola or Adoma. My beard and I are destined for greater glories. After all, who scores in the playoffs with just one touch? Not even that critter Hogan could do that. I've also proved this season I am the fucking master at centre-back. Brucey was right about one thing at least. My Villa career highlight? Earning 40 grand a week. Or my Hawthorne's death stare, a.k.a. my sex face. The bum-fluffed young buck Grealish now leads your pride. After Gabby, Mika, Hutz and Alfic all passed away to the captain's graveyard, I leave the pride in good hands. So enjoy the wilds of the Premier League. But stay away from relegation, you villa bastards. Pray to the god of beards for me, will ya? So I can get another club. They, you know, they were giving it large on the pitch. Mm. They were loving it, and and at the end of the day, when you're a footballer, you want to win. And there was well, a little hopefully. clip, wasn't there, of Smith talking to the players mm. that came out through the week, and mm. and it's right because he said, you know, you, you've you've all had an input in this. You know, the, you know even Yedinak, yeah. who did very yeah. little through the season, but actually in the key moments, stepped up in the shootout at the Hawthorns and buried it. The one touch in the playoff, one touch goal, all he needed, and stared at the entire stadium. Yeah, <laughs> whereas they stared at the Villa fans. Did, and was yeah. like, oh, you fuckers! <laughs> we couldn't get a a better way to go because most most of the time in our recent history, it's players with their tail between their legs being like shunted out. Most fans kind of giving them shit. 
Yeah, or it's our best players being stripped, aren't they? Yeah, and so, but this was like, and it was a nice, it was a, you know, kind of a Hollywood ending to it. Uh, whether you're a lone player and you want you're not coming back, or whether your yeah. contract's over, it was, it was, it was for a change. It was a kind of a joyous way to you know leave yeah. Villa. I mean, potentially, it, it was a real um, a rarity. <laughs> It's sort of a real, uh, like a bookend moment, you know. Hopefully, Touchwood moving forward, it's it's drawn a line under the best part of a decade of just, you know, financial mismanagement, bad decisions left, right and centre, atrocious football. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, it's the start of a new chapter moving forward of, a, you know, something real, po- something, you know, really positive and something that the fans actually buy into. And the only, and the only thread that, that links the, the whole of that together is Grealish. Yeah, and and it was something I was thinking about when in the last few days, as the dust settles, really that you know, the, even at the beginning of this season, we were we were talking, and this would have to be Grealish's season, where not only drags Villa back to the Premier League, but it would be quite defining of how his future career goes. You know, there were still huge doubts. You know, granted, he had injuries and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but I think it, you know, everything that's gone on in that time is is mirrored, I think, to some greater or lesser degree in Grealish's career you know everything from the high of you know really really showing his potential in that semi-final FA Cup win over Liverpool losing his way with some off the field personal matters you know coming through some two pretty bad injuries playing in you know the relegation team from the Premier League was bad enough but Villa were you know lost at sea for the first couple of seasons in the championship to now being the huge huge well they got in the playoff final Oh, yeah, fucking Christ! <laughs> let, let, we've we've already touched upon. I think that we could still be there now, and we'd never have won that game. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you don't attack, I mean, <laughs> to double quote your words, we'd be lost at sea. Yeah, we'd be lost at sea. Are we? Are we? Are we finally at a point in the whole process where we can finally just put that game to bed and never talk oh, about it again? Now, well, yeah, now so that it's we've, all, now that yeah, we've it's, won it's a playoff gone, final, yeah. we can just put it to bed and go. And we can, and we can, of course, be smug that we've uh, replaced <laughs> Fulham in the Premier League. <laughs> oh, that's true. We don't need to talk about playoff finals ever again because we're never going to get relegated again. But no, going back to the Hollywood endings, the Hutton one was a sweet Hollywood mm-hmm. ending. Whatever you think about Hutton, I mean, I. An old, you know, an Aston Villa Premier League team shouldn't have Hutton no. in it. No, but considering his personal journey, mm. and they couldn't get rid of him because his wages were too mm. high. So loaning was the only way, and the way he was, well, he was literally cast aside. Bolton briefly and Forest, Mallorca, Forest, Mallorca, and you know, some sometimes he was just training with the youth yeah. team, and to get back with you know limited ability, but have such. <laughs> Amazing moments, oh, especially this. You know, this season against Hull, his goal uh, away at Hull, and then the Blues Maradona moment. I mean, it's incredible. Go down really, as one of the most iconic Villa Park moments of the last, I don't know, twenty-five years, probably. Yeah, and then he's li- then he's lifting the trophy at Wembley. Yeah. I think for work rate and for professionalism and sheer heart, sheer heart. I think there's there's few footballers, um, you know, few footballers I can recall. You know, there's. Many have been heralded as, as icons and idols of Villa who couldn't actually give a monkeys about how they either perform or how they're perceived. To Hudson's credit, yeah. he's he's fashioned. A, I don't want to put this. He'll be he'll be remembered. I think for the right reasons. When actually you look at his career, and yeah. it, it could yeah. have gone very 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 sour for him. And I think to his credit, he'll you know like the the Blues goal, and you know you can't question the guy's heart. And he, you know Whelan, he he was getting a well, raw deal earlier on in the season, and what, and he I mean, what a turnaround, yeah. And he finishes on a high as well. It's it's. I wouldn't be surprised to see him that, end up at somewhere like the Albion or 
something like that. I think he's got a lot to give. We were talking about a nice Hollywood ending. Don't 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 curse <laughs> him. Oh, he had a beautiful ending. He turned it around. I wouldn't be surprised to see him at the Albion. Oh, give the give the man a break. At his age, for him to lose his place in the international team and to win it back. Mm. When most yeah. international managers would be looking forward, but he was in that yeah, but, the island squad. But Mick on McCarthy merit. has picked himself as player manager as well, so oh, yeah, true. <laughs> Roy Keane's and back. I, <laughs> and I think uh, McGrath's probably going to be in the the next game as well. Beyond the but no, I think Whelan got man of the match in the last island game as well. Did he? The Grealish story is obviously the one that tops them all, and he kind of did it in game in a nutshell in in that Blues away game, mm. and that kind of summed up uh, what's happened since uh, we have been uh, relegated. As Dan said, those you know big bad injuries, but a ridiculous turnaround. Uh, obviously, inspiring that ten game run, mm. which. He said, I, th- I think he said in his interview, he said to Tammy Abraham, if we get to four wins on the trot, we're going to do this. Uh, just finally, I mean, we'll talk about uh, how we're going to fare in the Premier League and the, the, the prospects of that in, in other shows to come over the uh, this summer holidays, so to speak. Uh, just quickly, though, I mean, a lot of people, when teams go up, obviously, the, you know, the money's there and they have to rebuild. And a lot of teams buy players out of the fear of relegation and uh, I mean like Bournemouth for example when they went up they you know they stripped a lot of the players that had got consecutive promotions and like you know you Tommy Elphix had no part to play and that you know they were offloaded for newer players Fulham is the most recent example mm. who had a winning style and a winning formula but it wasn't trusted and uh, they suddenly uh, lost their shine uh, because they went against their roots and got in Ryan Babble and his hair they're separate things and they took the Michael Jackson statue down that was a yeah well that was the main the main yeah, problem you just lose your identity when you look at the Villa team if they don't keep their loans if none of the loans stay for whatever reason and then obviously we've released a load of players then you're looking at a team hmm. that's suddenly missing I it mean needs yeah Elmo and Taylor are they really going to be Dean Smith's starting fullbacks in the Premier League I don't think so I think one of the most important positions for Dean Smith to fully realize the way he wants to play will be an upgrade at both fullback mm. situations mm. and uh Gilbert the French guy yeah he was at, he was at Wembley wasn't he yeah, and, and maybe Gilbert's, uh will do the, that job on the right-hand side with probably Elmo backing him up, but I think Villa needs somebody at left-back. So if you take those two out of the equation, uh, two and Zabie Mings, we don't know if he's coming back. So that leaves you with Jed Steer. <laughs> That's it. Grealish, McGinn, and then... Uh, if Horahan's going to be considered a starter next season, and that's it. Wow. So you are really rebuilding completely. Wow. Hopefully we'll get El Ghazi, so that's another one. Courtney Hawes, I think, might come in at left back, or he'll certainly be in the squad, won't he? But you're talking about half a team, half of the first team at least we need. So yeah. that we're going to need games in pre-season. <sighs> we're going to need to get players in early as well. Yeah, wow. When you, when you actually... Uh... Yeah, you look at how many players we're releasing on, and then the question mark against every lone player, because, oh, wow, it's a significant enforced yeah. rebuild, isn't it? And you can't just... Yeah. Well, actually, because it could be easily levelled that Villa have just torn up. Um, and this would have happened anyway, I think, is an important point that we've, we've made over many yeah. weeks. This exact same problem we had at the end of last season yeah. was suddenly Snodgrass, Terry, etc. all going, and, you know, we have to start again. But then, you know, as you say, that you've you've got to then be realistic that, you know, his Al Mohammadi and, and his Neil Taylor, you know, are they going to cut it at Premier League level? I think a player like Courtney House and um, and Conor Hurahan, yeah, it's a major step up to the Premier League. Major, major step yeah. up. So you're not just talking about, 
you can't just be buying squad players. You've got to be saying, right, well, actually, we need to improve in every position because we haven't got anyone else. Wow. It, it'll yeah, be, it'll wow. be a real um, a real gauge of the ambition of the you know the ownership, yeah. the CEO. It'll be a case of, right, let's, let's see really where you want this club to yeah. be. But there is that sticky trap where you suddenly start, because we, obviously we're in competition for players, and when it gets to that stage, then that's when you have to start offering more wages, and we suddenly fall into the same trap uh, that you know all clubs are struggling with, and desperately if, trying to hoover up anything that looks like a Premier League player, and yeah. then you realise you've got a load of yeah. shite. And then if the mix isn't right, you get relegated, yeah. and then suddenly you know you're doing a Bolton or whatever, <laughs> and become a crisis club, as we were very close to being. Mm. Yep. So it's going to be a very busy summer and a very interesting summer at that. But you know. On the bright side, we do have the man that some people were wishing away or saying goodbye, Grealish. Mm. At least he is somebody who can galvanise the fans. A genuine icon and idol for the uh, first yeah, time like in a long time. Well, a proper, it's a proper talisman, isn't proper it? Proper footballer. Like a hero figure to root for, you know, whether you're a kid or, or, or an adult. And also, you know, a bit, bit of a poster boy as well to help this club grow yeah, globally. Absolutely. I mean, because it has before, been... Yeah, it's been so parochial recently. I mean, if you haven't got a Brummy accent, uh, you're kind of shouted down, mm. spe- speaking from experience. <laughs> <laughs> and But that mentality's got to change because with Liverpool, I mean, if you haven't got a Scouse accent, you know, that those days are long gone. Mm. It's uh, the bigger picture. Same yeah. with Manchester United, Manchester City. It's uh, Villa's going to transform and some people won't like it. I mean, but those days of, you know, tradition and ideology and football are long, long gone. And uh, we have to become a global team. And a global, yeah, and, you know, a global brand, and I hate using that words. Like we're going to have global appeal. I, don't, be, I think that the brand yeah. bit comes with it, doesn't it? That yeah. um, there's, there's two ways of doing that. You can go the route of, I don't know what what Manchester uh, Manchester City have tried to create, and what I don't think that they've built around their club yet is a fan base. To be honest, you know, there's a lot of empty yeah. seats. I don't think they've got that groundswell of I don't know, not even the neutral or the casual overseas fan. I think that they they migrate to other teams, and I think the problem with that, the, the issue that they've got. And it's something that a club like Villa can to pick up on the points you've just been making is that you can you can buy into a club like Villa and a, and a player like Grealish because there's actually a true genuine story there. There isn't yeah. there isn't you know yeah. this is a local kid he's a local and there's all the backstory with it. Whereas you, you yeah, know, but the same same with Dean Smith mm-hmm. and, and and you're right you you can sell that mm-hmm. to uh, yeah. overseas fans. Yeah. It's a story yeah. to buy. And into I think um, yeah, I think unlike someone like a city who. Are, Always the example. City at one point would have been seen as the underdog, mm. but because they've of how they've achieved their success, and they simply yeah. have bought it, mm. you don't you don't buy into City being you know the, the little brother of Man United anymore. You just think, well, this is this you know well, Man um, City's not sus- sovereign, sovereign yeah. wealth fund. It's just Man City's not like sustainable, it's, and it's why PSG aren't a big club. You know, you don't you can't just throw hundreds of millions of pounds into a and, and create um, you know Manchester City are, were an, a big football club before their you know wealthy owners came along. Um, but you can't just suddenly become a super club, you know. That, that that's a yeah. you don't. This comes you can't like, buy decades that of no. yeah. It's decades of culture, you know, like Bayern Munich in Germany it's, or Juve, AC Milan. Well, you know, these, these. when you when you look at the uh, the list of European Cup winners uh, recently, obviously because uh, we've just had the final, and you see Chelsea on there, and they they bought. I mean, they they got they were a small to the club stage. when when I was a kid. Yeah, they didn't bring any fans uh, and. And before Abramovich came along, they had got to the point where, you know, they could finish fourth or fifth or whatever. And they were challenging. They could, they could win an FA Cup final against Villa in a very boring game. <laughs> but there's no way they win that Champions League without Abramovich no. coming to town. No. 
and it, and he, and you look at that and it's like a stain on i don't know it's it's just, i still i still hate i hate this idea in football where it's not equal it's it's all you know you have such an advantage mm. if you have a rich sugar daddy i mean we've you know we've got rich sugar daddies allegedly but uh, we'll see well, what I mean, happens when you look at the um, you know it's you know it's a totally different era but you look at the the 80s when sort of forest and villa went up against europe's you know real juggernauts mm. and, yeah. and put and you know, stuck it to them and mm. and won you, just, you don't see that happening. You know, the nearest we got recently was sort of Leicester winning the league and then having a little run in the Champions League, but it was never going to be a sustainable no. period of success for them. Yeah, because they just lose their players, they get picked off. And they lost their manager and it all it, the whole thing just sort of fell apart. I don't think people... Well, they sacked their manager, they're idiots. <laughs> yeah, and obviously Mares left. And... Mm. I think that's, that's, that's the... You know, for the, the good and exciting parts of the Premier League that I look forward to, and I think are exciting, I think that the um, those are the that's the end of the scale where that you have inequality and you have um, you know this this joke of financial fair play, which doesn't you know, it just doesn't apply at the top end of for the top elite clubs. Yeah. So, so um, in, in a nutshell, Villa going into the Premier League. I mean, as we've just highlighted, there is a big rebuilding job yeah. there. And uh, it will help to get at least a couple of those loan players over the line just for some continuity. Mm. At the same time, if you can bed them in and how realistic it is, I don't know. I mean, when Villa last got relegated, we got promoted. We, under Graham Taylor, we fannied around that season, just missed out on relegation. But we still had the similar kind of players and he was just kind of getting the acclimatizing them really and, and adding a couple of pieces and then next season we we battled with Liverpool for the title and came second so but there is a bit of a difference now there is that kind of top four clubs which uh you can't get promoted now and expect to challenge for I mean, the title w- within a season or two although Leicester obviously did that so the question is how quickly can we bed a team down because this league is not that great you can finish mid-table yeah if you've got a decent team, yeah. if we'd gone up with a settled team and that was going to be the bedrock of what we were starting with, I would fancy us to finish top half. But because we're going to have to create half a team or buy half a first team, it's you know it's it's still an open question. I mean, you look at what Wolves did. You know, when they went up, they were Premier League ready yeah. and they added to it. Yeah. So they bought so well. You know, they bought. I think they bought the keeper. They bought super players and all of their what you'd call their big name Stella. You know, they're sort of their the big signings, they all worked. They didn't have big flops. Villa can't yeah. afford to have another window of flops. They have these signings that are going to come in in this this window and probably January as well have to work. Mm. Yeah, You know, Wolves, for example, went out and bought Champions League captains in players like Neves and Caballero and is it Jimenez, the lad up front. You know, mm. They bought quite real players of European pedigree. I mean, unfortunately, they are kind of the blueprint of how to, you know, to get it right. They've... They nailed it. I think this this coming season will be the test for Wolves because it's a consolidation yeah. season. They've yeah. got into also the novelty is novelty gone. goes, and I think that there's a there's a how can I put this? I'm a I'm a big fan of the traditional European UEFA Cup format, but I think the Europa League style is a it can really hemorrhage <laughs> you your season. Well, I it? think it, it really yeah, can yeah, yeah. hamstring you, and, and I don't know because you have to you have to be built for it, don't you? You almost have to have two well, squads. You have to have two squads, and and I, and I think that it's about appetite, and I think that. Has the shine gone off these competitions to the extent, and it's deeply sad to someone, you know, I think I used to love the UEFA Cup when I was a kid growing up watching football, whether Villa were in or out of it. Um, and now it's extra games when actually, the, if truth be told, the true focus of, of clubs and probably players is, is the Premier League and how much those extra games can hurt you in terms of fatigue and squad size. 
Burnley's Burnley's a great example because you know I hear Wolves' fans going yeah. on about how great it is to be in Europe. You're not in the real Europe, and what impact that will have upon them next year? I'm, I'm intrigued to see actually. Yeah. So, so what are you saying? Villa are going to finish higher than Wolves? We must. We have well. <laughs> well, I, I grew up in an eight. I think how many years was it before I saw Villa uh, Villa play Wolves in the Premier League? You know, it was it was many many years. Um, yeah, it was Andro, it was Andro Leary, wasn't it? Was a, it, I think. it was a long time. I, you know, it was a long long time. And I have to say that Wolves, we used to go to the Molyneux. I remember Angel scoring a, a hat trick on their pitch, and it was it was yeah. You know, they just weren't competition. I mean, when I was younger, Wolves. The only time we ever played them, I think I remember playing them in a Coca Cola Cup yeah, quarter final. Yeah. And the only other time was pre-season friendlies. Yeah. They were the warm-up act. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think this, so to assert our authority, we, we have to, uh, you know, they, I don't think they're the benchmark, but we need to get above them. Indeed. Just wrapping up, Jota, Jota. <laughs> I think we discussed this on the the bonus podcast, and I think it's a no-brainer to get him mm. uh, if that swap deal is on and it's only going to cost a couple of million here and there because he was in and out, in and out of the Blues squad. Mm. I mean, I always remember when we were, prepping for uh, Villa Blues and you look at his uh, five games before and he's on the bench for most mm-hmm. of them and then you look at his record at Brentford where was it 23 goals in 69 appearances which for yeah. his position is is pretty uh, piles tasty. of assists as well yeah. yeah so I think definitely he's somebody who because you're going to need a squad in the Premier League and he's somebody that can bring something to the table that's a bit unexpected yeah. Yeah. it's it's kind of what you're looking for you know you're looking for us for Villa to go and get some real quality players or a couple of signings that make you go, oh, wow, they're statements. But then you also need those sort of the savvy buys that for so long we haven't had. You know, McGinn well, this yeah, season was a great no example. One, no but... one leapt at their chair when we bought McGinn, but, you know, what a signing he's proved to be. Yeah. And where Hotter plays, you know, he plays on the right-hand side. I don't know if, if Smith's necessarily bringing him and saying, you're the main man you're going to start, but it is an area we need options in. That impact as well. Yeah. Yeah. But also, it's it's a matter. I mean, because he wasn't starting for the Blues, but it's a matter of, as we've discussed previously, Dean Smith. Perhaps his style was always, but going to be better suited for the Premier League than the lower mm-hmm. leagues, and that's why perhaps he struggled to finish uh, higher with you know teams like Brentford and uh, Warsaw because you don't have the caliber of player at that level to essentially get the best out of the, the system that you actually want to use. Yeah. I mean, we mentioned the full fullbacks earlier on. His way of playing needs decent fullbacks. And you need to be technically gifted players. You can't have yeah. you know, 35, 36-year-olds who lack energy. You need a high-energy team mm. with technical ability. So Jota may flourish more under such systems in the Premier League uh, rather than a more physical championship. Mm. I think he'll, he'll see it as a huge opportunity and a, you know, a big step up. Not you know, local yeah. rivalry aside, to go from sort of going through the motions, at, yeah, well, going through the motions <laughs> at a mid-table championship side to all of a sudden finding himself in the Premier League. I mean, Villa have come off far better, L- lower table uh, uh, championship mm. team. Yeah, you know, uh, Villa have come out of that that, that deal <laughs> so much better off because you know, in all you know, with all due respect to the lad, Gary Gardner has been on the scrap heap at Villa. <laughs> <laughs> for years <laughs> with all due respect <laughs> scrap <laughs> you are right now maybe he's got a career in football I never know the FFP issues we'll, uh, we'll discuss later but I think when you're in the Premier League it doesn't matter what the EFL really say you can tell them to get lost <laughs> fuck off we're swimming but in the... our sea of money fuck you there's a fine consultation group meeting coming up with uh, Villa CEO Christian Perslow where top of that agenda will be 
to get him to explain and clarify for supporters the actual uh, financial fair play situation and if they're doing any hocus pocus with Villa Park in terms of selling it and then yeah. uh, leasing it back to ourselves. For a billion dollars. Hopefully he will uh, come clean and uh, actually give us what we need to know there. I mean, that's one of the things, isn't it? Going into next season, it's just knowing we're out of the, you know, out of the shit, basically. Mm. Rather than, you know, the daily fail and uh, talk sport or whatever, just kind of regurgitating financial fair play BS just to, uh, because people will read it. Mm. I mean, we know that already. We are now back into the Premier League clickbait swamp as well, so that's going to be fun. I mean, that, the problem with all these aggregate sites, these Villa Villa this and Villa that, is they just, without thinking about what they're spreading, they just spread it. So it's just the cycle uh, continues and continues. And unfortunately, this Samina, we don't have a, a World Cup or a major Euros. We're going to have essentially like a month at least of just absolutely nothing. And then all the pre-season stuff starts. It's great. For I Villa, think that's but... good. Good for Villa in terms of rebuilding and everything to do it in a summer when there is none of these yeah, uh, distractions. And we think you uh, can't negotiate you know, anything with players who are away yeah. either. So yeah, so that's helped us. I think I think Perslow and uh, Smith were uh, working in the night the day after mm. uh, starting mm. starting the process. I don't, I had the feeling from what their interviews said that they clearly had two plans. You know, they were planning for the championship, but they also knew. You know, that's that's been Villa all since we've been relegated. We've been planning for both things, mm. looking at both eventualities, whether it was under Wyness or personally. It's standard procedure, really, isn't it? Standard procedures. Tony Tony Shear and uh, Keith Wyness following standard procedures. Surely not. Yeah, fraud. <laughs> So uh, we will uh, obviously have other shows in the summer, the summer of love, as we look towards the uh, our reintroduction into the Premier League. Hopefully we won't burn out as we enter the Premier League atmosphere and we will actually land with firm feet and... Uh, Onto the face of Mika Richards. Kick some arse in the uh, the early uh, early weeks of that. Yeah, Mika Richards was down there sitting... Uh, on the bench, which no, I thought I thought it was good that he actually fronted up because it's you know it's easier if you if you've been injured for so long just to sit in the stands or not even turn up at all, but at least uh, kind of feeling part of it if you know what I mean. And even you know even for him, uh, at least when he leaves the club, they're promoted. So thank you very much, Mika Richards, for the promotion. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cheers! Yeah, was it tw- twenty-seven appearances, a sum total of three hundred and eighty-five grand a match? He's cost us. Yeah, but I mean, we can we can dwell on these things. But the thing is, we're now promoted, and he was bought for the reason to get promoted. Well, actually, he was well, yeah, bought, he bought to keep us in the league. He fucking didn't. <laughs> he yeah, failed good, years ago. Good point. But at least with this promotion, and he was timing with his uh, disappearances, you can just wipe it clean and just concentrate on things rather than getting caught up. Because this is one of the problems. It's been this circle of toxicity where we've just been obsessed with these players on big wages because we weren't performing on the field and now a lot of these players have come to the end of their time and it's start it's time to make some fresh mistakes on wages <laughs> and uh... yeah we need new things to laugh at <laughs> that's true right so until the next show which uh, hopefully will be when i have super fast broadband finally installed yeah. after i was dis- disconnected after my new neighbor gave my address by mistake i didn't know that internet companies can via third parties turn off your supply but you learn something every day so we will be back uh, we have a new microphone uh, dan rogers is uh, 
live and uninterrupted from the dungeon. <laughs> now you can hear him. <laughs> you can hear him scream from the sex dungeon. <laughs> yeah. Does it have a B postcode? Uh, no. No, it's... Dan's uh, SW, isn't he? <laughs> even more sordid, even more sordid. <laughs> and uh, to make sure you are Premier League ready, please do follow the My Old Man Said podcast on Spotify. Subscribe on Apple and obviously any other podcast app that you use as you will get the notification first. Also, join, if you want to get closer to the show, the Mad Few Facebook group, which uh, I will normally... Uh, push out on social media so you get the link there it's also in the the show notes as well and most of all to help us march on into the premier league please do become a my old man said patron go to my and click on the patron link and also on the shop option you can also buy a t-shirt to support the show too thank you very much but until uh, until next time thank god we are no longer championship creatures so we can say goodbye to the championship the efl Goodbye to losing at Brentford every year. That means we've automatically gained, well, six points potential back now. No more blues. You know, blues is good. It's that day out, but I think we've got bigger days out now. No more Steve Bruce. It's a bit bit tedious. No more Steve Bruce. We leave him to rot away in the championship as well. But the mad few remain. They march on to Anfield, Old Trafford, the new White Hart Lane. (laughs) And West Ham's monstrosity. Oh, yes, we get to uh, visit the London Stadium. Joy, oh, joy. But, yeah, no, it's actually, interestingly, we've been out of the Premier League long enough for teams that we used to play to have new stadiums for when we return. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) There's been progress. There's new new trips to be had, new stadiums to visit. That's what we... That was the only thing we could find that was good about the Championship. Oh, we get to visit some new stadiums. Now there's actually new stadiums legitimately in the Premier League. New stands as well. Thank God we don't have to go to Luton. Yeah. And on that note, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them. Goodbye. Goodbye. My old man said. Dean Smith's last words as he boarded the coach back to Birmingham from the Hilton. I think I tweeted it actually, where, where he just said to it, I think you had a few, sh- few shandies, old Dean. Mm. Uh, I love every fucking single one yes. of you. Good lad. <laughs> it was that in between choruses of Sweet Caroline. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver-assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.